This week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast, podcast. AEW buys Ring of Honor. Vince McMahon gives a rare interview appearance. Kane Velasquez attempts murder, not inside the cage. And Keith Lee on his heralded, groundbreaking, critically acclaimed run as Bearcat Lee. I'm your host, Seth Grimes. And this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. I called it. I called it last week. You know, when you're right, you're right. I'm a humble guy. I'm not trying to brag or nothing, but when you're right, you're motherfucking right. I called it right here last week in a tiny little segment that was at the end of the show that barely even mattered. It was about Cesaro leaving WWE. And in that conversation, I speculated on what the big announcement from Tony Khan might just be. And I just put it out there. Just my gut feeling is that Tony Khan was buying Ring of Honor. Well, one week later, look what we have. We have Tony Khan has purchased outright. Bought, paid for, owns, lock, stock, and barrel. The full company of Ring of Honor as announced on AEW Dynamite this past Wednesday. I almost second-guessed myself. I started to doubt it. You know, I think most people were leaning towards streaming service, which would have been my number two. Um, you know, and I was just like, wow, it takes a while to put something like that together. We would have heard rumors about it, that it was for sale, uh, hints that it was going to be Tony interested in buying. No, all that shit happened quietly in actually, you know what, because Ring of Honor also has a couple contracts left over and they're planning on a reboot. Uh, it just... I was second guessing it, but it seemed it seemed right there for the taking because inevitably this is still leading towards the streaming service, right? I don't think AEW is going to have their own streaming service. Certainly they could. They could build off of the infrastructure from the uh, Ring of Honor streaming service that currently exists now. But, uh, honestly, I think the best route to go with this is to just sell your rights to some streaming company for millions of dollars. Because these platforms, I'm telling you, they're all, you can look it up. Every last one of these streaming services, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Peacock, They're all in the whole billions. They are billions in debt just by trying to build a platform 
with the strongest content that's going to attract the most subscribers. So all of these companies are in a mad scramble for content. That's why Peacock, that's why NBC Universal made such a big move to acquire the WWE network for Peacock because that's going to draw people to Peacock and they can put it and it's not just that WWE is going to have game changer amounts of of viewers going over there that's going to pull them out of that billion dollar hole. It's more than just one show. It's your collection, it's your portfolio. It's being able to advertise, we got this, we got that, like Peacock does. We got the Harry Potter series, they always say. Now they got WWE, and they got whatever the fuck else. Peacock's actually pretty good if you poked around in there outside of the WWE network. Um, But they're all in debt by billions. So to say that AEW is not going to get millions of dollars for streaming content is just, you just don't know what you're talking about. Tony Khan probably already had a multi-million dollar streaming contract uh, in his near future with just the AEW content. Now, it's not saying that he had one lined up already. That's saying that just by existing as AEW and having a content library, pay-per-views and, and back-issue TV shows for three years now, like you already have a strong portfolio to sell to a streaming service. But to strategically go out and acquire a company like Ring of Honor with not just the streaming library, because the streaming library alone... I'm telling, or the the content library, the the back catalog, the archives, is enough bundled with AEW's content, man, that he just upped the value of AEW's streaming package so much. And if you think there won't be a demand for that back issue back catalog Ring of Honor content, you are insane. We're talking about CM Punk's early career. We're talking about Brian Danielson's early career. We're talking about Samoa Joe. We're talking about all these other guys that are on there. Adam Cole. I mean, the list goes on of people that are on their roster now. Red Dragon, Young Bucks that we're in Ring of Honor at some point in time and using that library to your advantage to just do DVD packages, uh, you know, where you can put on little specials on your streaming site too, you know, the best ofs and and documentaries and all that shit. But in addition to that, and trust me, in today's streaming world, in today's media content market world. AEW continues to grow and continues to build value. I watch this shit like a hawk, okay? Like I'm big into the streaming content and the media rights deals and all that kind of stuff. And the declining ratings for WWE and AEW not really being able to stay over a million ever, 
None of that's going to matter when these rights deals come back up again. They're going to get gigantic deals, both WWE and AEW. TV is not in a place right now where those companies can play hardball and be like, yeah, you know, your ratings were down a little bit. We're only going to give you this. To have content, period, that's going to draw anywhere near a million people to turn on their TV and watch live, do you know how rare that is in this day and age? People don't do that. Nobody does that. Sports are, are DVR-proof, as they say. Uh, you need to pretty much watch a game live. You don't have to, but most people do. And, and wrestling is going to be one of those things. There's not a lot of other things that TV, that these networks are going to get exclusive deals on for three years, five years, where they're going to be able to trust that they're just going to get continuous live content that's going to draw near around a million people in or above or below. <clears throat> so mark my words, AEW is going to get a fat raise in their content bonus. Fat raise when their media rights deal comes up. And he knows that, and that's why he's buying up all this talent. Because he knows, A, he's letting talent go, and B, he's growing his fucking company's value like a motherfucker. They got this video game coming out, and if you don't think that's going to make a bajillion dollars for that company too, dude, I'm telling you, Tony Khan's got it right. <clears throat> But besides the media rights, the content library, the streaming, which I think was his number one driver, absolutely, in buying Ring of Honor, you also get that rich legacy. You get the history. Okay? Few companies have been around, have that kind of, even, I don't know that WCW was even, you know, since it went from NWA to WCW, even lasted as long as Ring of Honor had. It was a relatively short period of time. 10, 11, 12 years, something like that. Um, Ring of Honor has such a rich history, not just because it's been around so long, but because of the epic matches that it's had throughout its history. Because of... The faces, the names, the the careers that were built and catapulted out of Ring of Honor onto a mainstream platform, be it WWE or TNA with Samoa Joe. Buying that, buying a Ring of Honor was a baller play. It was. In, Incredible value to WWE or to AEW. I'm sorry. Apparently, it wasn't incredible value to WWE as they passed on it, or Tony Khan outbid them, one of the two, as they were definitely both offered the uh, rights to Ring of Honor. So, what do you do with it at this point? Obviously, we've kind of beaten the streaming service part of this to death. What do you do with Ring of Honor? And we've already kind of touched on how this is going to grow AEW's uh, size, their value, uh, both to networks, to streaming services, just as a company, their net worth. Now they own back issue products. This is shit that Disney goes out and buys other companies, right? Fox and, 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 and that kind of thing. Star Wars, they acquire Star Wars, Marvel. 
WWE, you know, was making a habit of that for a little while, but it's a baller move to make just a couple years into your company, and it's really going to grow. But the question is, obviously, the streaming content, is he going to keep Ring of Honor alive? Now, certainly this has been tried multiple times in the history of professional wrestling where a company's been acquired and uh, the effort was made to keep it alive. You know, WWE did it with WCW for a night. Then Buff Bagwell killed it. They tried it with ECW. It lasted for a couple years. Really in its actual prime, only about a year. And then it just became, you know, WWE. Essentially it became fucking main event. Does AEW see value? Is there value? Is there a point in keeping the brand alive as a promotion, not just in the history books in your back catalog, but as a active working promotion? That's uh, a hard question because Ring of Honor, uh, towards its last days, was not the biggest draw in the world. Um, and quite frankly, you know, you got Rampage that's only, that's not doing great numbers. It's great for its time slot. The network's happy with it. And I guess that's the most important thing. But it's not like setting the world on fire. And, and Dynamite's a fantastic show, in my opinion. But it struggles to stay at or above a million. I mean, it does, it gets there, but it's not. You can't see it growing. It's not like steady staying at a million one and then inching its way up to a million two. So can you launch another brand and sustain it? Well, I think you could. Now, you'd have to be smart as fuck about its budget because I think uh, NXT even operated at a loss for WWE. So you don't want to just go out there and just run it like a full-fledged promotion necessarily. Here's what I see are some things that can be done with Ring of Honor. Now, this is just me spitballing at this point. Because um, I think we all can agree and know that the streaming is coming. And it's just a matter of time, and that's the best use of the library of Ring of Honor. But for the active brand, what you what they can do, because they've been doing this thing with Dynamite where they'll, they will film Rampage after it. Or other weeks, Rampage will be on its own. It'll be live, or it'll be close to live. It'll be filmed on a separate day, in the same town still, usually, in the same building, even. <clears throat> and they, I know they got Dark and Dark Elevation, and one of those I think they're doing at the old, uh, uh, the thing, the building in Orlando now, the old TNA gimmick, where they, they rent out the studio there. Here's what you do, Okay. You take Rampage, and you film Rampage, and you film one of the darks, and you film Ring of Honor, and you film them all in one taping, then you do Dynamite, and you do one of the darks on the other, uh, the other dark, or, or maybe some other projects or whatever during the Dynamite taping. So they're all roughly three-hour shows is what I'm getting at. Uh... 
all you got to do is, I mean, WWE did it with ECW. You know, they had a big uh, black, like, uh, I went to one, actually. I went to one live that was a SmackDown slash ECW. Um, and they just basically drop a big black tarp over, not a tarp, but, you know, the cloth, a curtain, whatever. Sparkly curtain. Looked fancy. It was all sparkly. You drop a curtain in front of the SmackDown set, and then you just move the ECW set out in front of it. It was a smaller set. It was just an entrance way and like a screen. You know, you could theoretically just use the same set as Dynamite or Rampage even, but why? Why go there, right? Just drop like a big fucking, drop a giant screen. Because that's all Ring of Honor's entrance really was ever anyway. It was just a giant Tron, right? So you just drop a wall of screens in front of the Rampage entrance, and you go out and you swap out the ring apron, same ring, everything. You swap out the fucking apron, the colors, whatever, the ropes. Make it Ring of Honor. And you use that as a developmental of sorts. You essentially make it your NXT. Uh, if it was me, that's exactly how I would do it. Uh, I wouldn't want to waste money. I would I would pair it with Rampage so that I'm not wasting money trying to run separate shows, right? We're still spending the same budget, really. Uh, there's not a lot of extra production. You know, you got to switch out the stuff. You, you know, you buy a new setting. You know, like I said, you, you, you move the Trons. You get a big curtain in front of the Rampage set. Put a big Tron in front of it. Switch out the ring stuff. It's cost effective if it's filmed with rampage you don't got to do it that way but i would do it that way because you're not spending any extra money you just film it while you're there next AEW only does four pay-per-views per year you can up your pay-per-view income pay-per-view value now of course there's production costs and everything too but i think if they could build Ring of Honor up to the point where their pay-per-views were as big as takeovers, they would get buys. So if AEW's pay-per-views are doing 200,000 buys roughly right now, which they are, then you could do you could expect 50,000 buys on a Ring of Honor if you're promoting it through AEW, couldn't you? At 50 bucks a pop, I mean, you're making two and a half million bucks off that pay-per-view still, you know? Uh, worth doing. Uh, you can do it without losing money. You sign all the talent to AEW contracts. That's the next move. That way you can keep them fluid. You don't need separate contracts or a separate company. It's, it can all be under one parent a wrestling company. And, and that contract gets signed with them no matter who you're with AEW, whether you're in Ring of Honor or where you start out. Maybe when a guy comes in, he gets started in Ring of Honor, very similar to NXT. Maybe, I, you know, you could do it any number of ways. So here's how you go about doing that. When you're ready, you do an ECW one-night stand-style pay-per-view relaunching Ring of Honor with a bang. We're back, baby. And you make it both about the new talent that will be there, the current talent that was on the roster before they folded, 
and the historical talent. If you do it a one-night stand style of show to relaunch them, uh, you bring in CM Punk to the show. You bring in Brian Danielson. You bring in Samoa Joe, who's a free agent. Adam Cole. Red Dragon. You get all of these guys on the show, but then you also bring in, like, you know, your uh, the Ring of Honor talent that was on the roster before they ended up folding. You know, you got a Jay Lethal under under contract. Um, you do FTR versus the Briscoes at that show. FTR comes in as AEW Invader saying, you know, this, you do that. It's wrestling tropes. But just imagine, you know, FTR comes out. Dogging on Ring of Honor, and then the Briscoes come out. Boom. So you launch it with that, and then you just, it's new. You rebrand it. You take some of the guys that are being underutilized, not getting enough TV time, whatever the case may be. They're stuck where they are. Like a Brian Cage, his contract was just renewed, and everybody was kind of baffled as to why. This is probably why, right? Move a Brian Cage over to Ring of Honor. He can be top of the main card or, or top of the mid card, bottom of the main event over there. He could be in a way bigger place or at least be featured way more on Ring of Honor. You keep him on that brand. You move Jay Lethal back over there. You hire a guy like a William Regal to be your fucking booker. Don't book the shit if you're Tony Khan. If you do not have enough time in your day, you are overstretched as it is. Hire somebody that you trust and oversee them to a certain extent, but just let somebody run Ring of Honor for you. <clears throat> the creative of it, the booking. And that guy's William Regal, in my opinion. Bring William Regal in, put him in charge. You could bring in you could bring in some of the other you like a Ryan Katz from NXT. And uh, who's the other guy that they, they recently just released from there? Like, you could really bring in the best that NXT had before they were gutted and combine it with all the free agents that you just, you have your pick of the litter, you pick the top ones. I mean, of course, I would I would recommend bringing back your Matt Tavens and your, your uh, Briscoes and your your legacy Ring of Honor guys. You mix them up with some new talent and some fresh talent coming in off the street. And yeah, you got your dark and your dark elevation that you can use for your for your uh, NXT developmental. And that's how Tony has been using it to scout talents and that sort of thing. And you can still bring in guys. I mean, those are... Those can continue to be mainly vehicles to fluff win-loss records, to give people reps on the main roster that need reps, like a Jade Cargill that need the in-ring experience still. That's what you use those shows for. And to get eyeballs on people. Yeah, you bring in people to do jobs, and if you like the way they look, maybe they get a maybe they get moved over to Ring of Honor to actually like Ring of Honor is not the, necessarily the place. I mean, it could be, but I, I I wouldn't see it like that as necessarily the place where you bring in guys to scout to just do jobs. You can a little bit. There's still going to be job guys for Ring of Honor too, but 
that's more for just developmental up and coming or guys that just need uh, more space to go do their thing. And I just, that's how I would do it. I would keep it cost effective. I would keep the talent fluid and interchangeable. I can always move guys to Ring of Honor. I can move guys from Ring of Honor to AEW. I wouldn't do it a lot because you still want to kind of separate it and keep make it a big deal. You want to make it at least as big of a deal as when guys would get called up to main roster from NXT. And, you know, you throw out a few pay-per-views a year for them if you can make them as big as a takeover. And you got guys like William Regal behind the scenes. Just you bring on a Samoa Joe, uh, whether he can still work or not. You bring him in to be the face of the brand, whether it's commentary or a commissioner even, or even just a backstage agent. Whatever the fuck, man. Like, that's the that's the best use of Ring of Honor. I don't see, I mean, I know there's people listening that don't maybe don't like the idea of putting it with Rampage or something just because, you know, like it's going to kind of look the same and everything, and it will to a certain extent. The ring is going to be the same. The arena setup is going to be mostly the same. Change out the colors, the set, the apron, the ropes a little bit. but But you do that to be cost effective because you can't, it won't be if it if they try to just book its own shows. You're gonna have trouble drawing people. You're gonna have you're gonna lose. You're gonna be spending money on that building just to do that show. There's no point in doing it that way. And I don't think you want to downgrade Ring of Honor to the to the to the place in Orlando where they're just doing all the elevation tapings, right? The 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 soundstage gimmick. You know, put them in front of live crowds. Put them in arenas. You could really revamp Ring of Honor. I think with the tape with the with the one night stand level reintroduction with a punk, with a Brian, with a Samoa Joe all appearing, with FTR versus the Briscoes on that show. With all of that shit, you have set up Ring of Honor to be successful at the, at least at that point now people are going to be intrigued to tune in and see i guess that's the other big catch to it though right it's tv time that's the other third thing there that you're gonna need you know um can be cost effective as you as you want it to be but where are you gonna put it you're gonna put it on youtube do they still own do they still have in their deal uh, to to hold the TV slots on Sinclair Broadcasting, you know Sinclair is not losing money by having Ring of Honor on TV. They're ha- they're losing money by having to run shows and keep guys under contract and all that shit. The TV times there they own the stations, so they can easily keep Ring of Honor on TV and just not have to pay for it anymore. Pay pay a rights fee to have on TV will cost them way less. You're just paying for content at that point. Cost way less than having to ma- maintain the rosters and book these or venues and sell tickets and all that. But are they going to want to do that? And even then, like those TV times were all sporadic. You know, it was this time in this state, and this time in that state, and this region, and some some regions don't even get it on TV. And it was a big fucking mess, right? So... 
All of that's to be determined, but I think if you're going to keep Ring of Honor alive as a brand, the only way to do it is to pair it up with Rampage. You can do it with Dynamite, but then what's Rampage? Rampage plus a couple darks? Who cares, right? You almost, like, can double the excitement of the draw. And I think you can keep Ring of Honor a strong brand. You move, you strategically move a couple top guys there. I'm not talking, like, Punk or Brian, but you have Samoa Joe there, and you can move... You know, I don't want to speculate on what kind of talent could move there necessarily, but you move a couple of your top guys there and, and put a lot of the young guys there and you just see what happens. You build it and, and you got that brand and it's there. And hey, at least you tried. I mean, if it flops like ECW did and everything else ever did, but you're really not, you're just not spending that much extra money. There, there will be costs. There's always costs to produce extra TV. Um, but theoretically, if you can keep those costs low enough, you just make it back on the rights fees and, and bada bing, bada boom. So that's what I think is going to happen. That's what I think should happen. That's exactly what I would do. That's my blueprint for you. Step by step, that's my blueprint on, on how to do this thing. But uh, we shall see. And it'll be interesting to see if in the future they pick up any other uh, content, you know, because, you know, it's possible that in the next five years we see an NWA come up available. Um, and, you know, even the little company that could, TNA, Impact Wrestling, could theoretically be up for sale at some point. And if you got an AEW that owns Ring of Honor, NWA, and now TNA's entire history, TNA's library, Impact's library, that's a huge get, too, if that ever comes up for, for sale. Uh then WWE almost becomes the company that owns all the old shit, right? Because if AEW ends up owning Ring of Honor and Impact, psh, WWE is not going to have any of the footage for any of the guys coming up nowadays because they don't have guys from WCW anymore, ECW. All that shit's gone. Those are all legends now. Where did all the new guys come from? Either their own developmental in NXT, or they came from fucking Ring of Honor, or they came from, <laughs> you know, TNA. That's it. Oh, wrestling's beautiful. I love this shit. I get geeked about this. I could talk about this shit the entire episode. I really could. I could just go on and on. Um, but I won't. That's all I have to say, uh, I guess, for now on the Ring of Honor subject. But huge news in wrestling groundbreaking giant shakeup it's fun to see i love this shit the gathering a bold journey into the belly of the juggalo underworld written by seth grimes narrated by henry schrader the owner and chairman of world wrestling entertainment Mr. Vincent Kennedy McMahon made a very rare interview appearance on the Pat McAfee show this week. Full, long-form, in-depth, sat down for a little over an hour, closer to an hour and a half, I want to say. And it was just shooting the shit. It was just kind of a bunch of dudes sitting around talking. Uh, you know, there was nothing groundbreaking going on in this conversation. We didn't really, like, unveil any new 
a major layer to the Vince McMahon person that we know and love. He wasn't really asked any super hard-hitting questions or anything like that. There's no real news to break other than, of course, you know, The Undertaker. Uh, he did say that he's going to be inducting The Undertaker into the Hall of Fame, which I also called last week. I believe that was on last week's show. I said that he should do that, right? Uh, maybe the week before. I don't remember. They all blend in at this point. <clears throat> and that he was giving Pat McAfee a match at WrestleMania. But all of that made the headlines. You've heard all of that. This was very newsworthy uh, in that sense. You know, everybody wanted to kind of drop those bombs out on the internet. But uh, one of the things that isn't getting talked about as much is uh, what Vince McMahon had to say in regards to all of this talent that's been being released lately. You know, when I say that Pat didn't quite ask all the hard-hitting questions, this was one that definitely was a little bit further, a little bit closer to that that, that hard-hitting, tough journalism, journalistic-type question. But, of course, Vince just tiptoed around it and... Gave a typical Vince McMahon answer. Check this out. People always assume that you just have no heart and you do not care at all about any of these people. Then there's podcasts that happen. Each one of those decisions that you make, whether it's to release somebody or, by the way, push somebody or keep somebody, how much weight, of, like, are any of those decisions like more difficult than others or is it just always like what will make the best show in your eyes? Like, is I'm that. I'm always concerned about what's best for the audience, always. What does the audience want? Once I took the uh, company public, it helped me be a better businessman because prior to that I was running the business mostly with my head, but mostly with my heart as well. And you, these decisions are so damn tough when you do that, you know, um, because you know who it is, you know, his kids or this and that and the other, or somebody has cancer in the family or whatever, and all that computes in your head, you know, when you're a, a, but once you're a public company, now, you know, you owe stockholders. You owe the business. That's right. It is the business then. So it helps me make uh, easier business and better business decisions because my heart, there's still some of it in there, you know, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know it sounds all of it. There is, you know, uh, but at the same time, it's business. Very dismissive of it in general. Uh, I feel like you definitely get the vibe that he separates himself from the talent in that way. And, you know, he made it clear. He, he kind of said, you know, once the company went public, he said he used to make a lot of his decisions based on just the relationship he had with the person. Do they have a family? They got kids. Is somebody sick in the family? Blah, 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 blah. Right? He knew everybody on a personal level. This is when guys were going to his house and everything like that as well. Once it went corporate, things were different, and he kind of treated it as such. And he separated himself from the people, from the personalities. No hard feelings, it's just business. This has been Vince McMahon's thing. Look, man, you don't need to cut that many people uh, when you're making record profits. And you don't need to say, you know, like, it's not always just what's right for the business. Because, I mean, that's a load of crap. He doesn't listen to the fans. You know, he said that a couple times. You know, he's, he even busted out his his trademark. You know, we got a we got a focus group every night. You don't listen to his fans, but 
there were a lot of little gems that came out of this podcast that really like uh, just shed light on Vince McMahon, the man. And I'll say this. I'll say this. This was a great interview. I thought Pat did an amazing job. I felt like he got a lot out of Vince. He kept Vince engaged. Uh, you can tell that Vince likes Pat McAfee. Uh, first of all, just by the fact that, like was said, uh, Pat said that Vince is barely ever in his ear at all. Like hardly tells him anything. Just basically lets him be him. And he's standing up at his desk like he does in his on his show and everything. He gets all hyped and into it and he can't stay in his chair. It's just a McAfeeism. And Vince lets him have his McAfeeisms. He doesn't try to conform him to a corporate structure. And it's so strange because he does do that with his with his play-by-play guys, right? <clears throat> you know, you're Michael Cole. Michael Cole's a goddamn robot. He's the best, one of the best, if not the best robot there ever was in the business, but he's a robot. Remember Todd Phillips? He was a robot. All these guys are robots that get plugged into this chair. But the color guys, he kind of seems to leave alone. Like JR always talked about how Vince was always screaming in his ear, but Jay, uh, Jay the King never got any. Any fucking Vince never said anything to him ever. So I don't know if it's just Vince is very specific about how he wants his play-by-play guy to be, but... The color guy is is just that. He's color. Just let him be color. You know, you either like the color or you don't, but let him be color. Or <clears throat> is it just kind of based on a, if Vince likes you or not, or not? Vince clearly likes Pat. You know, he, Vince, is. we've always heard, is a very jocular guy. You know, always like uh, one of the boys kind of guy. And uh, you could tell just in that interview, you know, he's... There's a very jocular, hanging out with the boys vibe to the whole thing, and Vince felt right at home and you know, owned the room, of course, as as a Vince McMahon would do. But seems to really enjoy Pat, uh, and and you know Pat does a great job. Pat did a great job on this interview. Pat does a great job in WWE as a color commentator. Pat's a great personality for wrestling. And I, I hope he has longevity there. He seems happy. Vince seems happy with him. Lots of little gems, though. Just little quirks in Vince McMahon. Just the way he would say things. I'll say, I'll, here's another thing. I say, I say, I say. <clears throat> here's another little thing I'll throw out there is anybody that says Vince is senile or lost it at this point, he might be out of touch because he's old and just not doesn't have his finger on the pulse of what's cool anymore. <clears throat> but even in even that came up in the conversation where uh, it's been said that Vince kind of delegates to people that know what's cool because he doesn't know what's cool, and he's self-aware enough to know that he doesn't know what the kids are into these days. He doesn't, what I was going to say is he does not strike me as senile. He's not... Losing his man, he's not Joe Biden up there, fucking just losing his train of thought every three seconds and shit. <clears throat> right? He knows he's he's very cognizant. He's very sharp. He's very smart. He knows how to answer questions in a 
in a uh, professional way that can kind of tiptoe around things when they are touchier subjects, like the release talent. And, uh, you know, him saying things like dead weight, though, uh, it's Vince, though, right? And, and saying that nobody knows how to look in the mirror, now he's got to have the guy to blame. I think that's true to a certain extent. I think a lot of people do do that. Do do. They do do it. But, you know, and Vince is an easy guy to blame. Because the the way that he decides things on a whim. And Pat kind of tried to ask him about that a couple times. You know, he's like, do you just decide something and just because you, you just get laser focused on it because you're so strong-willed? And what he's really trying to say is, you get these hairs up your ass and you just go with things. You don't necessarily care, you know, that there was a whole script written already three times and nope, we're changing it. And just but Vince seems sharp as fuck. You know, I'll challenge anybody that says he they they feel he's losing it. Uh out of touch, maybe yes, but losing mental sharpness, no. Uh, it's, it's so fascinating listening to a guy like Vince talk, especially for long periods of time like that in an interview setting. He doesn't do many of them. They're few and far between and they're all, they're all gems. You know, like if you sit down and listen to a Vince McMahon interview, you know, there's the one from, uh, uh, on the record, right. Or was it off the record? Whatever that show's called the Canadian show up there. Um, that did a lot of wrestler interviews uh, in the Attitude Era-ish. Vince did that one. He did the ones, uh, you know, the one where he's interviewed with Bob Costas and he's slapping papers out of people's hands and he's he's Vince, you know. He's half putting on a show, half just being the Vince that he is. You know, there's even a, a part in this interview where, you know, Pat asks him to, like, you know, adjust the microphone or sit down or do something like that. And Vince is like, I, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. <laughs> I'm not going to take orders from you. Pat's like, yes, sir. Sorry, sir. You're absolutely right, sir. <laughs> it was cool because Pat seemed very comfortable around Vince, too. <clears throat> and it gave me the impression that in the way Vince... We'd talk about things like if somebody's late for a meeting, you know, like it's annoying enough that you're late, that you're walking in, but then people feel the need to explain themselves. Oh, sorry, I was, uh, you know, and then I got cut off and there was an accident and a plane crashed. And like, I get, I get Vince. I feel like I understand. I think I'd get along with Vince. I really do. I think he's a no bullshit guy. He likes it straight. He likes guys that aren't afraid to give it to him straight. He likes guys that aren't intimidated by him, but respect him and listen to him at the same time. Uh, I could just tell by the way, you know, he seemed really like Pat and just the way, the way Pat talked to him. Pat, Pat talked to him like a dude, uh, but, but respected him at the same time. It was, it was just so, so interesting. And, and Vince, he's a little bit harder to listen to nowadays. He's very grumbly and, and, and softer. <clears throat> he's losing his voice. But an absolute gem that you, you got to go out of your way. Like, nothing I'm going to say here is going to do it justice, you know? And I can't just sit and, like, go blow by blow, recap the whole thing. Uh, but there's just lots of, lots of great stuff in here, you know? Um, 
He talks about, you know, making the switch to the networks and talks about keeping smart people around him and listening and and in in I think, you know, Nick Khan obviously would be the one he's referring to in those situations. You know, he was a big part of that network deal to to Peacock and that sort of thing. But uh, go out of your way to just, it's on YouTube, it's free, it doesn't cost you anything. Go out of your way to watch this show. Watch Vince, listen to the full interview. It's a little over an hour. Uh, you'll be happy you did. Like I said, you're not going to break any new ground. You're not going to learn anything necessarily that you didn't know before, but it's entirely fascinating anyway because Vince is just such a weird human being, and he admits it. He admits that he's not normal, that he's wired different, and you know that he works all the time because he doesn't consider it work, so it's just what he does for fun. and Yeah, just great shit, great shit. Always great shit with Vince McMahon. The utmost respect for that man and and Pat McAfee, great show. When he's not talking sports ball, anyway. It's gotta be. It's gotta be Kane. Velasquez. Arrested. <laughs> Facing. Shut up. That was a good one. I like that one. Don't you judge me. Damn it. Cain Velasquez is facing bajillion years in prison. 10 plus 20? For attempted murder, amongst other things. Who had that in their 2022 deck? You know, we were just just watching Cain Velasquez, like, what, last year in the WWE? Looking like shit against Brock Lesnar, getting his ass beat. But in the world of real life, Cain Velasquez apparently... The wrong man crossed his path as Cain Velasquez attempted to shoot. He was shooting, openly shooting at a guy on the highway. Uh, Details are still sketchy on this, but what we have appeared to have put together uh, from the details here is that somebody at uh, a a private school of some sort, maybe, or a daycare, uh, was doing something he should not have been doing with somebody related, a child, a kid in the family related to Cain Velasquez. I have heard in some that it's his own child, others that it's just like a nephew or a niece or something. I haven't even been able to get those details straight uh, unless those details just haven't even been released. Excuse me, burping. Unless those details haven't even been released yet. But... What do you do when this is a touchy subject right here? I'm gonna I'm gonna try to tiptoe on it because when you got some pervert doing pulling your kid into the bathroom stall or a kid in your family, a nephew or something, and he's doing inappropriate very inappropriate things. We don't know exactly what happened in there, so I'll just leave it at inappropriate. I don't want to speculate, but it's not good. I'll say that much. So at that point, Kane being related to this kid, the Kane should have and could could have and should have just beat the fuck out of the guy. I mean, that's scary enough. 
I would be more terrified that Cain Velasquez is trying to assault me physically than Kane shooting at me. Because you, you could just shoot back at him, theoretically. And, and you know, you, the playing fields are even. But there's line. there's a line that you just don't cross. And, and when you do, there are people in this world that at that point, they just don't care. Everybody's got their line in the sand where you just don't care what happens to you anymore. You don't care if you go to prison and get arrested. You don't care if you die too. You don't care because you are going for that person and that's it. Now, how he did it was reckless and sloppy, and he needs to serve jail time just because you don't drive down the road busting shots at people in moving vehicles. He could have missed and shot somebody else. He could have shot the person he was trying to shoot, and then that person got in a car wreck and killed somebody else. It's reckless. You follow him home, and you shoot him in his fucking front yard if that's what you're going to do. If that's what you're going to do. I'm not condoning but I'm not knocking it either. I'm saying everybody's got their line. That's where I'm trying to tiptoe here. Everybody's got their line in the sand of what is just, there's no turning back, right? Everybody's got that point. And for Cain Velasquez getting pervy in a bathroom with a kid in your family is his line. And he's going to kill your ass. And he don't give a fuck if he goes to jail or what happens because of it. So Cain Velasquez was in court this week. Just not not deciding on a sentence or anything. Just kind of hearing arguments or whatever the fuck opening court type stuff is. And he's going to be facing multiple years and he's going to get them too. I hope, I hope. Uh, that the judge is lenient on him and takes into consideration why he was doing what he was doing and, and what any man in his shoes would likely do or would at least want to do, right? Maybe some people would think better of it, um, but I think everybody would at least have the urge to go do something about it, right? So... If you're a judge, you take that into consideration, but you also take the reckless nature of it into consideration. But you also counterbalance that with it being a heat of the moment, crime of passion. I bet he gets the lightest sentence that he can get, but he's going to get a sentence. And just imagine Cain Velasquez walking into prison. You know what I mean? He's going to gang up with the Mexicans, obviously. Everybody else is going to be scared. Nobody's going to nobody's going to steal his pudding at lunchtime, right? <laughs> all right. All right. I'm making light of a fucking I'm making light of a dark situation because it's dark and I'm not I don't I'm not here to be dark. We got dark topics. I'm just just going to do what I can to lighten the mood is all. All right. The Bearcat. Keith Lee. My bad. Limitless Keith Lee was on the Talk is Jericho podcast this week doing the standard issue I got released from WWE and now I'm in AEW podcast. 
You've heard it a million times. And there was, of course, this one with Keith Lee. They're all interesting to hear, though. They're always interesting because you always learn something about the WWE or reinforce things that you've already heard. This podcast is just... Check out this clip and then I'll follow up. When I was about to come back, they kind of hit me with the, the the vision for the Bearcat thing. And during that time, I was like, I don't understand what that is. I'm not sure if I'm feeling that. And they brought me back just as myself. And then, I don't know, my second match, uh, I think, yeah. So first match, lost to Lashley. Second match, lost to Cross. In the middle of the show, Vince pulls me to a room and wants to sit down and have a talk. Vince doesn't leave his show. <laughs> in the middle of Raw? Yeah, in the middle of Raw. Like He's got like <laughs> the semi and the main event coming up. He's just like, let's go chat. I'm like, wow, dude, you, you're, you're the guy on the headphones. What are you doing? But uh, it was in that conversation. He basically was like, listen, I need you to do this. I need you to be this. And I was like, I mean, listen, I work for you. So if that's what you want. That's what we're going to do. So it's laughable. It's laughable is what it is. The way that they like Keith's like, he says it perfectly too. He's like, wrestling is, is easy. It's simple. You go out of your way to make it complicated. WWE goes out of its way to make it complicated. He said that there was very little, if any communication at all. He didn't know what his segment, he didn't know what his purpose was in his segments. He didn't understand the character. He was told to just go out there and growl and be mean and angry all the time. And and you got to look at it two different ways. and Because both of them are understandable. And I think this is where... Keith Lee gets that reputation for being a, a bit of an ego guy or a, bit, a little bit difficult to work with. Uh, you know, it's been said before. Wade Keller says it quite a bit. Uh, he was saying that he was saying that it's already people are already commenting on it. Uh, the way Keith Lee, the way that Keith Lee acts backstage in AEW. But I think it what it boils down to is Keith is is a bit stubborn and set in his ways which I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with. And from the WWE perspective, especially Vince, when Vince gets a guy, he don't give a fuck who you are, where you came from, what you did, what your reputation was. He doesn't even necessarily care what your strengths are. Okay, He doesn't care that Keith Lee is a 300-plus-pound man that can do ungodly things with his body. He doesn't get that he's this smooth-talking, intellectual-sounding powerhouse of a man, mountain of a man. There's, there's things that make Keith Lee connect with the audience that it is just unique to Keith Lee. Vince doesn't care about any of that. He's not like a Tony Khan where he sees, hey, this guy gets over with the fans. Let's bring him in and let him get over with our fans. Do the same thing here. Like, you know, he brings in a Danhausen and just lets him be Danhausen. Now, I will argue complete sidebar here, but I think the way that Danhausen's being used right now is dog shit. 
but he's also not ready to wrestle, so there's not a lot you can do for him other than just bring him in and let him be Danhausen. But with Keith Lee, I, I think he was very set in his ways. He's like, I'm the limitless one. This is my thing. This is my act. This is how I wrestle. And this is what I want to do. Vince, he doesn't care. You gotta, you gotta, you're his toy, okay? He has, he'll see you and he'll have a vision for how he can use you. Okay? He sees a, a toy that he and he gets an idea of how he can play with that toy. He doesn't see the toy in action and go, I want to play with it like that. Like, he sees a big monster guy the size of Keith Lee. He, he doesn't care about what Keith Lee was. He wants, he goes, oh, I could use a big monster mountain of a man like that to be a monster bear cat. And he angry and he growls and he throws people around and that's it that's that's and he goes this is what i want you to do and he he said you know he pulled vince pulled him aside during a show to sit with him privately and say look man this is what i need from you aj styles says he had that same conversation with vince went out there and, and had in a match and vince brought him back and said dude I got a million guys on my roster that can work like you. Here's, I mean, he doesn't. Nobody, nobody's can hold a candle to AJ Styles, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, have those kind of matches. He says, what I want is a pit bull. You saw this little scrappy guy that looks like he could fight, even though he's a smaller guy, a little tough guy, and, and that's what he saw. I want that scrappy underdog. They just go out there and just fight. He sees it, and and I want my pit bull. And and AJ goes, okay, boss, I can give you that. And he goes out there and does it, and nails it. And Vince loves him. I think that's that's what you're signing up for in WWE. You know, all the talent in the world can get you in that system. Possibly. You know, their door is pretty close to indie talent at this point. Uh, you know, you got to be a football player. But Vince is not looking for guys that are getting over on the indies and what they're doing on the indies and how he can use that in his company. He has people that will hire, that will scout and train and hire and develop talents the way that they feel might work in the WWE system. And when they're good enough, he puts them in front of Vince. And Vince might like what he sees and he might not. And if he likes what he sees, it's not going to be necessarily based on what you've done previously, but how he sees he can use you and his fig fed in his brain. You're his toy. And how he's going to play with you. Keith Lee couldn't play by those rules. And I don't know that he'll ever be able to play by those rules by the way he was talking. And I don't think it was arrogance or anything like that. Uh, if anything, he actually strikes me as a somewhat shy person who might be 
uh, stuck in his ways because he's uncomfortable coming out of that, out of his shell. He's figured out how to work that way, and that's works for him, and it's gotten him over massively. But maybe trying other things outside the box is outside of his wheelhouse. So you got to kind of like accept that you got to let Keith Lee be Keith Lee. And, you know, put him in check if he thinks he's got to win all the time or he's better than everybody. But, I mean, if you're trying to, if you're trying to, Use him as a lump of cake clay and mold him into something that you want him to be. It's gonna be it's gonna be oil and water. It's just not gonna work. So hopefully it works out better for him in in AEW, um, and, and hopefully you know he gets a fair shake, and hopefully his ego doesn't get the best of him all at the same time. Well, we talked about the big news with Tony Khan earlier in the episode, but. That wasn't all we heard from Tony Khan. He was quite prolific this week. Uh, He also had a conference call where uh, he talked about a a great number of things there. And he was on the Busted Open podcast this week, as he normally is every week. Uh, This time, hyping revolution. But it was a conversation about Orange Cassidy that made a little bit of news when it hit the scene. Uh, Check out this clip. He does numbers. And people might not like it, but it's a fact, and he consistently has. And I was in, I'll tell you the truth, uh, in the production meeting, I don't think I've ever told this story before. Uh, and I don't know if either one of them would mind, but I'll just be honest with you guys in the spirit of uh, doing a lot of interviews on the road to revolution, and you guys are the guys I always talk to. Uh, we were in the production meeting the first year, and JR, not under his breath, like said something about how stupid the whole thing was in the first year. And I sit in front of everyone because Jim called me out in front of the entire room. So I said back to him, I was like, Jim, this is getting over and it's doing ratings every time. And we've barely scratched the surface of what the guy can do. And he's actually a really good wrestler. And I think you should give him a chance. I thought this was notable, not just because of how high Tony Khan is on Orange Cassidy and all the things he had to say about the kind of money or, or ratings that Cassidy is drawing for the company. But, oh, and by the way, fucking way, just kayfabe, Tony Khan, way to blow the spot on the, on the, on the fucking, on the ant deal. What what ant was he? Fire ant? Fire ant he was. Blowing the spot on Orange Cassidy being fire ant. But I also thought this was interesting because he mentions JR speaking up about it. Flat out just. Calling out Tony Khan saying the shit was stupid and he didn't get it. Sounds like JR, right? That's on brand for JR. Nobody heard that comment and goes, oh, I, I can't imagine JR would have. No, of course. You, and, and I would just love, and I, first of all, I respect the fact that JR's in those creative booking meetings. Uh, those production meetings. Maybe it is just a production meeting where they're just saying this is what's going to happen and, and that's how it is. But just the fact that JR is in a meeting where he can have a voice, where he can speak up and say, that's fucking stupid. I don't like that. And be allowed to. Be allowed to. I would absolutely, I always said that I would want Jim Cornette on my team. Even if I did everything exactly the way, the opposite the way that he recommended. You know, he talks about how he hates AEW all the time. He puts over segments, but as a, as a company as a whole, he buries it. 
But, man, I would still, even if I did everything exactly like AEW, I would want Jim Cornette on my team just to tell me where I'm fucking up. And he does every week anyway on his podcast. And he gets his ratings and his pay through YouTube uh, ads and all that. So I guess it's working out for all parties anyway. They're getting the information and the money just through the intermediary of YouTube. But honestly, like those dissenting opinions are valuable, even if they're delusional, you know? So in that meeting where, where Tony Khan's putting over Orange Cassidy, you're planning a big spot for Orange Cassidy, big push. Got to give him his fucking push. Everybody needs their push. Sasha Frias. JR just step up and fucking just say that's bullshit. Nobody understands this fucking Orange Cassidy weirdo. It's silly goddamn bullshit. What kind of show are we trying to run here? I like that he does that, but I like that Tony Khan can be like, yo, I get your opinion, but you're also old as fuck and out of touch and you don't understand shit anymore. Okay? Orange Cassidy is a draw. He makes money on t-shirts and his ratings are always fire and he can go in the ring. So fuck you. I'm sure the conversation was a little bit more polite than that, but I like that those are the kind of conversations that are happening backstage at AEW. I like that Tony Khan has the balls to step up, but I like that he allows people to step up to him. I'm sure people try to test him because he's, t- he's you know, a nerd. <laughs> he's a nerd. He's not Vince. People are used to Vince. They're not used to a nerdy, marky Tony Khan. So they, they you know, but Tony, Tony's, Tony's not afraid to put his balls on the table. I've learned that just from listening to him. And he's not afraid. He'll cut you off and he'll correct you if he feels like you're going, like, well, like, He's not afraid to speak his mind. He's not a pushover. You know, we've heard Jericho say that, you know, we thought Tony was a mark, but he's not. He's not a pushover. I don't think he is. He's a mark, but he's not that kind of mark where you're just going to be like, listen here, this is how we're going to do it, and fuck you. I'd be like, all right, well, fuck you then, you know? But I like the creative process of having JR in there to give his grumpy old two cents, and I like the thought of just red-ass JR bitching about Orange Cassidy because he doesn't get it. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. I hope he understands it now and he's come along and he's starting to open up his mind to the younger generations of shit because kids just like weird random shit these days too. That's the kind of stuff that makes them laugh. I'll sit and I'll watch YouTube videos and TikToks with my kids and just the shit that they watch that makes them laugh is brainless nonsense. But a lot of it makes me laugh too. It's funny. Good shit. Orange Cassidy, you know, when you pull out a fucking ladder from under the ring and Orange Cassidy's sleeping on it and he puts his thumb up, that's fucking funny. It's random. It doesn't make sense. And it's going to give guys like Jim Ross and Jim Cornette an aneurysm. But to the younger crowd watching these days, like my kid's a fan of Orange. He doesn't like wrestling, but he'll sit and he'll watch Orange Cassidy. Like he'll come in. What are you, what you watching? Wrestling? Yep. And he'll go, oh, Orange Cassidy. If it's not, he'll walk away. But if it's orange, he'll go, oh, Orange Cassidy. And he'll sit down and he'll watch. Why? Because he's funny. He's entertaining. He's a fucking draw. You don't got to understand it. You don't got to like it. It doesn't have to be fucking 80s, early 80s, late 70s, smoky, fucking dimly lit, 
sportatorium wrestling to fucking to to be wrestling to get over that that day is past you know i've gone on rants on this before but we're not in that day and age anymore wrestling is entertainment right if you want to put on the air of having a fucking fake fight throw a logan paul fight up on the fucking screen or you want to have real real sporty looking sports competition combat do it for real with ufc you got it there you know, everybody talks about all these missing wrestling fans. Where they all go? That's where they went. Because before WWE, before the W, before the WWE went PG and and got all fucking lame and stuff, UFC didn't exist. All those people that liked that combat stuff and the edgy fighting and and blood and all that, they watched wrestling. A lot of those people. And then when there was a split, they went with UFC in the split. For the, the sports people that like the sports and the fighting aspect of it. And then the people that got a kick out of Orange Cassidy laying on a ladder moved to wrestling. And that's where we are now. <clears throat> and, and those old guys just got to accept that part of it and, and move forward. With Cody Rhodes out of the picture, there's a giant gaping hole where an EVP used to be. Who's going to fill that role? Who's going to be the new EVP in AEW? Check out this clip. Oh, boy. Yeah, these TV tapings are so yeah. stressful. I'm exhausted. Yep. And it's only noon. <laughs> hey, guys. Tony Shimon. Hey. hey Tony, what are you doing? Hey, man. Good to see both of you. I'm sorry for interrupting you. I know you talked about something. Before. We were. Yeah. Uh, listen, I, how do I say this? I know there's an opening for an EVP here in, in AEW. And... I've been with the company since we first started with Dynamite, and I say one and and I and you know you and I poured coffee together. That's true. And and I've always talked about how great you dress on on TV. And you you do put me over big time on television. And you cover for us when Jr. talks about us not tagging in and out. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, so 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 I consider us. I know you super kick me. I get it. I I understand it's part of the business. It happens. Water under the bridge, right? Yeah, it happens. It happens. But here's my resume, and I wondered if you would That's consider. Wrong. Yeah, I wondered. You know what? Let me let me see that. Consider me for the for the you know, maybe job. maybe he's right. He checks every single box. Uh, you've been watching his old WCW uh, uh, tape. Yeah, he's he been leading the job. He's, he's yeah. been leading the way for years. Thanks, bud. Yeah. You know what? I, I think we should definitely consider not hiring you because we're not hiring anybody. Yeah, now get yeah. the hell yeah. out of our office, Tony. Get out of here. Get out of here. You think we're going to give away our power? We got, we got way more stroke around here. We're not giving We're the only Tony two active hey, hey, TVPs. Tony Schiavone, you could go straight to hell. Stop it. I get it. I get it. Get, get out of here. And we got a race. Well, Tony Schiavone gave it his best shot, but he's just not cut out for the job. He's just a commentator guy. What are you thinking, Tony? Why why would you even attempt to apply for such a prestigious high-level job like executive vice president of AEW? Will the bit continue on BTE? Will we see other people applying for this job? There appears to be open applications. Maybe I should go apply. I could be executive vice president of AEW. What do you, you, you got to smash a throne. You got you to gotta get an elevator on your entrance or streamers 
or something. People with brooms, girls, 80s girls with brooms, aerobics dancers. Anybody ever get the aerobics dancer gimmick thing? I mean, I get the cleaner, so I get the broom. But why are they like 80s aerobics dancers? It's fucking weird. So weird. Uh, but hey, I mean, you know, BTE, great skit. I haven't been a fan of the show lately. Uh, you know, it's lost some of its charm, and I think Sammy's vlog found a lot of that charm. Till Tay Conti came along, and I think she's kind of knocked it down a notch. But isn't that what chicks always do? Yoko Ono broke up the Beatles, and Tay Conte ruined the fucking Sammy Guevara vlog. It's basically like the Sammy and Tay show now. All these vlogs, there's a million of them in AEW. Danhausen's got one. He was always doing his vlog, so. It was all indie people, but now it's he works at AEW, so it's backstage AEW shit. Ethan Page, he's got a vlog. The Bunny, she eats Oreos with people. She's got that vlog going on. Everybody's got a vlog in AEW, and it's great shit. I encourage you, if you like AEW, to seek out some of the sidebar content. BTE kicked open the door, you know, uh... So start there if you haven't watched BTE and then just kind of walk, walk your way through all fucking 37 of them. Thank you all for checking out the show. Thanks for sticking around to the very, very end. Please don't forget to throw me a follow on the social medias. I am at Seth Grimes Media on Facebook, on Twitter, on TikTok. Slash United Underworld Media on YouTube. <clears throat> I also have a separate podcast feed out for other more uh, personal podcast ventures, non-wrestling related. So if you have any interest and you want to check those out, learn a little bit more about me, or just see what other kind of stuff I'm up to outside of the wrestling business, you can check that out there. We also got the... Pro Wrestling Inspired NFTs over at CryptomaniaNFT.com or on OpenSea.io. Just search for Cryptomania NFT. It'll be the logo that looks like Hulkamania but says Cryptomania. <clears throat> there we have Pro Wrestling Inspired NFTs. We got our Wrestle Pals series out right now, Series 1. They look like uh, they're like a mix between action figures and trading cards. Um, and they are loosely based on real life wrestlers, but changed just enough to avoid the copyright issues, right? Got another pro wrestling inspired NFT collection coming out very soon. So stay posted for that if you're into that kind of stuff. Otherwise, that's all I got for you. That's it. That's all there is. You can go now. There's no reason to keep hanging out here. I mean, if you want to, we can talk about like the weather and stuff. It's getting nicer out here. Snow's melting. You guys got snow? We got snow. Not anymore, though. It's going away. It's a good thing. I'm your host, Seth Grimes. Peace, love, and pizza. This has been the... Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. That wasn't a very good one this time.
I'll do better. I'll do better next time. I'm not going to do it again. I'll do better next time, though. gathering. A bold journey into the belly of the Juggalo underworld. Written by Seth Grimes. Narrated by Henry Schrader. <laughs>